Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi, Imi Barno, and I am your host. Today's conversation is a chat with David Walden. David is a writer and has created an online lifestyle magazine called The Walden Word. At the same time, he's actually preparing four novels as well. In our conversation, we discover how The Walden Word was created and what sort of topics are addressed. And we talk about David's writing process and routine. And obviously, we talk about surfing. Uh, What's really interesting in David's story is that he has dedicated his whole lifestyle towards his passion of surfing and writing. He's made the choice to pay his bills by waiting tables in the evenings and the rest of the day he are spent doing what he loves. I guess if there is anything to take from this interview, it's just that having your priorities straight and accepting to live life a little differently is in fact possible. So without further ado, please welcome David Walden. Hi, David, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, Amy. It's great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to listeners in a few words? Sure. My name is David Walden. I'm a native Californian. And about eight months ago, I started an online magazine focused on surf, environment and adventure called The Walden Word. Brilliant. Brilliant. So a bit more about your backstory. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in Sacramento, California, the capital here. And I grew up in the inner city. So I was kind of landlocked. I grew up in a single parent home. My mother would take us often to either the mountains or the ocean. And I fell in love with the ocean at a very early age, playing in the waves, swimming, body surfing, doing all that. And yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And, and so how did you get introduced to surfing on a board? Gosh, I was 25 and actually living in Wisconsin at the time and came home to visit my mother in California. And I really just wanted to learn how to surf. So I called my best friend who I've known since I was five years old. And he met me in Santa Cruz with my mother as well. And we rented some 10 foot foam blue boards and paddled out at Cal's Beach in Santa Cruz, right there next to the boardwalk. A uh-huh. uh, great little beach. And on my first time out, I was the paddling part was okay. I noticed a 72 year old man that was next to me kept catching wave after wave after wave. So I started mimicking whatever he was doing. And so the next set rolled in and I, I just did whatever he did. I paddled when he paddled, I stood up when he stood up. And in that way, I caught three or four waves that day until he paddled over to me and we had a conversation (laughs) and that's how I know he was 72. Yeah. (laughs) That's lovely. That's a lovely story. Changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) So did you live in in, uh, Santa Cruz for a long time and did you get to surf Steamer Lane? I did move to Santa Cruz in uh, 2009 because once you start surfing, you just want to be there near the coast, near the waves, like every day. You think about surfing all the time. I would be at home watching surf videos and like seeing what people do with their hands and what they do with their feet and riding different skateboards with like, you know, the carver with the trucks or before that there was some kind of the sector nine skateboard that had these spring loaded trucks. And, you know, I just would bomb hills and and (laughs) go in parking lots and practice turns and just you're dying to surf even when you're not. 
Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's amazing, the, the whole sort of pull of the ocean and of surfing. And so did you surf regularly at Steamer Lane? No, not at Steamer Lane. I lived over in Capitola. Capitola is on the other side of Santa Cruz. And I also surfed a lot at like uh, 43rd Street and Pleasure Point, mm -hmm. The Hook, little area called Sharks. 43rd Street's right there out in front of like Jack O'Neill's house, which sits on the little bluff there. And yeah, my sister and brother-in-law used to live there. So I would go from Capitola, skate up the hill and <laughs> keep a longboard behind their house and go run out there. And beautiful place. There's so many different waves in Santa Cruz. Even if it's not breaking, you could hop in your truck and just drive on the other side of the little horseshoe hook that is Monterey Bay and mm -hmm. find good waves somewhere. Brilliant. It's breaking Brilliant. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember I visited the surfing museum in the lighthouse uh, about four or five years ago, and it was just an amazing feeling. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that, I did a whole pilgrimage with the kids. We sort of did the whole Pacific and um, stopped at Mavericks, but that day it was flat, which was amazing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we stopped at Steam Lane as well. And just seeing the guys surfing there and, and the, the sea lions and the kelp and everything, it must be an amazing experience and uh, to surf in those waters. It's Santa Cruz and Monterey Bay there is a marine sanctuary. So there's laws and limits to what kind of boats and how long your nets can be or where you can fish and where you can't. And everything's preserved. It's really a beautiful place to be. As you notice, wildlife's everywhere. You'd be out there in the morning at the hook and a little sea otter would swim to the surface with a, like a crab on his chest and a rock and just <laughs> and he'd break it open and have a little breakfast over there crunching crab while you're catching waves. Oh, that's <laughs> so sweet. That Gorgeous. <laughs> That's amazing. Because actually, that brings me to the Walden word, because this is the name of your blog. And yes. it's a really lovely read. And I just wondered if you could sort of explain what the objective of the blog is and how you select your subjects and the, the articles that you write. Sure. Well, it came about because I wanted to write more. I was an intensive writing English major in college. I only finished the first two years of college, but long-time reader, long-time writer, and I wanted to give my writing home, I guess. So the Walden Word came about, and it's an online California lifestyle magazine focused on surf, environment, and adventure. And just because those are subjects that I am passionate about, I could talk surf all day long, <laughs> and there's so many different avenues of surf and surf culture that I find exciting or important. And naturally, as uh, you've mentioned, you have this uh, connection to the ocean, not just to the ocean, but I feel like to something greater than yourself as a whole. So there's that. And then all of it is an adventure. As far as picking what I write about, I really just write about things that I feel that I've been asked about or things that as a surfer, I dream about hmm. or wonder about. I really have this little piece that I like a lot called Surf Life destroying waves and stereotypes yeah. because the stereotypes still exist often when I'm at work or about town or talking to my relatives that live inland that, you know, surfers just want to drop out of society and, and just surf all the time, you know, <laughs> just, just live in a van and drive them down the coast. And my answer to that is, well, hell yeah, we do. But, <laughs> uh, but a lot of surfers are still doing great things for in their communities or for their environments. And, you know, I really just like to highlight how the ocean has affected us personally, and then how we use that and uh, go on and contribute to our communities. Mm, absolutely. That's a really lovely way of sort of 
taking this information. And I guess that's what we also have in common because we're sharing the stories of people who are also contributing to the community and possibly the environment. So Yes, the podcast is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> actually, to go back into sort of actually the writing, yes. do you have a, a specific routine? Because writing is a real process that's a long kind of standing process. And I just wondered if you had a take on that and what your routine is. For sure. I do. And in some ways, I feel like I'm still an old school writer, meaning I really am in love with the pen and the paper. Ooh. So I have notebooks. And in my notebooks, I usually write what it is that I'm focused on for the week or what articles I'm trying to pursue. And then I will focus further on an individual article. And once I do, I figure out what aspects of it I want to learn about or I find interesting. As a surfer myself, I think that if I find it an interesting read, other surfers will find it an interesting read. And then I go through and I take notes. I usually take anywhere from five to 10 pages of notes to write an article that's maybe a thousand words or 2000 words or something. And then I, I further organize my notes. I use highlighters to go through and pick out, well, this part's going to be in the introduction, in the beginning. And then these are the topics that I'd like to talk about and just sort of fill them in from there because it is an online magazine. It, I'm also always looking for photos and pictures and wherever I can find them. I use Pexels and Unsplash, or when I write about people, I just ask for permission to use any of their photos off their Instagram, which often gives me five or six years of photos <laughs> to dig through, and I only need five or six photos. <laughs> so that's always great when people say, yes, use anything you want, because they're excited to have an article written about them. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun so far. I meet a lot of interesting people, and writing never feels like a chore. It always feels like a joy. I mean, I I give myself these projects and these deadlines and some days I, I work for, you know, seven, eight hours straight, but it's pleasurable. Mm. I mean, it's something that I want to do. It's uh, something I'm passionate about. It's like, in a way, it's like surfing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so do you have uh, several articles going on at the same time before you publish them? Do you have sort of certain topics? Often. I mean, I read like that. And so I try not to write like that. because uh, <laughs> I used to stack up five, six books that I was reading next to the nightstand and or on my desk or wherever they are. And um, so I try not to write like that. I try to spend a week focused on one article and just really get it done. But inevitably, there's the next article that's out in front of me that maybe I have to interview someone via telephone or write some questions for them. I have a little introductory list of questions, seven questions that I usually send out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people fill that out so well that I don't really have too many further questions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's always three or four articles. I mean, I'm writing one right now, but then there's the next two articles ahead of it that, you know, in the downtime, I think I look at and start to outline and get more than a general idea of what that article is going to be about and Mm. who needs to be involved. I also... Again, because it's online, I like to give credit to whoever participates or whoever gets mentioned or whoever provided a fact or a piece of information. So I keep a list with all the articles of websites that were visited or organizations that were mentioned or people that were interviewed or someone who contributed a picture. And then about every five articles on my Instagram page, I put a banner of some surfing picture, Hmm. someone riding a wave usually. And then behind that banner is a list of thank yous. Oh, that's to all the people who are involved and they all get tagged. 
that's a really good idea. That's that's, that's great. part of the process. So. Yeah, and how important is is actually reading also in your in your whole process as a writer? Reading is extremely important. I have a house full of books. <laughs> I mean, probably over six hundred books. Every room has bookshelves in it. <laughs> but even just when I'm writing, recently I wrote a, a piece called Astro Surfer. You know, a speculative journey through the galaxy and beyond in search of waves. <laughs> and while writing that piece, I probably read somewhere between 20 and 25 articles. And then, you know, I pick out the bits and pieces that of information that I find important and that I can speculate on and weave together. And it's often like that. Reading is very important. I love to read fiction because I want to write fiction, mm-hmm. which is funny because I write a lot of nonfiction right now. <laughs> And my fiction projects have taken a side seat. However, I read less fiction is what I'm trying to say. But when I write an article, I realize that I'm reading a lot. I read other articles. I read online magazines. I read Surfer Magazine. I read all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very important. And as any writer knows or reader knows, the more you read, you start to hear a rhythm or a cadence in other people's words. And it also helps like with your grammar and when you're writing if you read a lot, then you know what good reading mm. should sound like yeah, or even what good writing should sound like. So when you write it and you go back and you read it, if it doesn't sound correct, then it probably needs to be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's great advice for anybody who's trying to write or trying to put their work out online or offline even. Are you planning on writing a book then? Yes. I've got actually four books that I think will be I know I'll be writing in the future. Mm-hmm. That's part of this project. This is a passion project for me to set goals, to work every day, to have the next article in front of me, to get me to form a schedule and to focus better because a book is a large project. Yes. So doing the Walden Word every day and having articles to work on every week and to see one go from start to finish, to have a project in mind. And then to pursue it and then to finish it to just is constantly building confidence and writing a book I know could be broken down into smaller segments, you know, chapter by chapter outlines. I've outlined a book before. I've just never made it all the way through when the writing (laughs) process starts. But yes, I do have plans to write a few different books. Great, great. And I mean, what keeps you going when you want to give up like you sort of want to take a day off or you you can't keep your schedule because of x y or z what keeps you going that's a good question i think just a passion for writing and wanting to be better at the craft mm-hmm. if i find myself feeling sort of stagnant or tired that day i going for a surf is always really good or i might just you know some days you feel like well i can write about anything and i can do anything i'm really good at this i get positive feedback all the time and other days you just feel like I'm in over my head. (laughs) There's lots of uh, publications and magazines and other writers are are better than myself. And it feels that way in the ocean, too. Yeah. And you paddle out. You (laughs) paddle out. And you look around and you're like, oh, all these groms are just like doing airs and surfing circles around me. And, uh, (laughs) you know, there's always someone who's going to be at a level that you're aspiring to. And then I think as long as you're on your path and you're continually working as hard as you can and doing what you can persistence is the key to getting better commitment yeah yeah and so how does your schedule map out on the day how do you organize your time i usually wake up walk my dog and get some coffee we go check the surf together 
my dog is a great judge of uh, swell direction, wind <laughs> direction, surf size, you know? Really? It's usually, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need him there. <laughs> yeah. From there, I usually uh, get in the water for usually 90 minutes is a standard surf session. Maybe it takes a couple hours. And then by that time, it's uh, midday, and I try to write from about noon or one o'clock to about four o'clock usually. So I spend three or four hours a day. If I have the day off, I'll write for longer. Or mm -hmm. if I'm working on a project, I'll wake up early and go for a quick surf, maybe just an hour, and then come back. And, you know, when you're working on a project, sometimes you get real excited about it. Yes. And so three, four hours of, of work just isn't enough. You want to push a little further and do a little more because it's exciting to see it get closer and closer to completion. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you could work forever on a passion project. It's very difficult to sort of keep yourself back, hold yourself back from sort of going on and on and on. Oh, I'll be in bed at night with a notebook just going over things <laughs> and what's coming up next week and what needs to be done for the website. And uh, uh, Yeah, it's just it's a never-ending process. Plus, uh, I run all the social media, so you know I promote a lot on Facebook, so then people respond and ask questions, and I invite them to like the Walden Word on Facebook, which then they'll be a follower, and every time I put a piece out, it'll show up in their feed, and, and that way I've made a lot of friends and on Instagram, you know, I, I like to put uh, make three posts for each article. Mm -hmm. So it's just it feels like there's always something to do. <laughs> I know it's just crazy. It's crazy, also, but it's great because it enables you to also reach so many people that you would probably not be able to reach in in real life. And to this and is true, yeah, yeah. The opportunities linked to the social media is is quite incredible. I just wanted to know if we could sort of focus on a couple of pieces that you wrote. And one of them is uh, Latinos Unidos, one of your latest pieces. Uh, really interesting. Yes. Nonprofit. Could you tell us more about it? Indeed. So Latinos Unidos is a nonprofit organization that collects surfboards, uh, smartphones, electronics, and then is looking to ship them right now to Venezuela, but they have plans to go to other Latin American countries in need. The founder, one of the co-founders is an ex-Quicksilver rider and Venezuelan national surf team member, Korak Tinoco, founded Latinos Unidos. And so he has family in Venezuela, and he's from Venezuela himself, grew up on the island of Margarita, and was talking to his cousin one day, and just uh, his cousin was telling him how much worse the situation in Venezuela has become. Their economic crisis is out of control. Inflation's mm. over 80,000 percent. You know, the average wage per month there is the equivalent of two U.S. dollars, which buys about two pounds of cheese and a carton of eggs. That's mm. not much at all. So in an atmosphere like that, where it's uh, very difficult to even find food or basic medical supplies, where things are rationed, it's hard for children to be children. And when Korak was growing up, there were a couple of organizations, and there still are, that you know, they bring children to the beach and they coach them and they teach them how to surf. And there's an ex-pro Venezuelan surfer, Francisco Paiva Hernandez, who is doing great. They're all doing great things with children mm -hmm. there just to really provide hope and give them joy and put them in the ocean. And I mean, every surfer knows that hour that you spend in the sea is an hour that you're not on land with your problems that are there and with whatever it is that you're focused on. So, I mean, a great escape. Latinos Unidos has collected over 50 surfboards here in California, yeah. and now they're seeking to ship them over to Venezuela, and they'll be distributed through 
a couple of organizations. Fundacion Pro Surf is one of them, and Atletas del Surf is another. So these are known nonprofit organizations that do teach kids to surf. They have a GoFundMe page, mm-hmm. which is set up if everyone would donate something, you know, that would help. Yeah, we'll put links to your page in the show notes of this episode so that people can link to it and then link to the GoFundMe page as well. But that's a really interesting project. And yeah, I have a friend who's Venezuelan as well, and she's just devastated by the state of her country. And yeah, they've lost everything. Like they just migrated here and everything they had has been, you know, repossessed by the government and it's just chaos. And it's so sad. It's horrible. And so how did you actually find out about Latinos? Do you have, do people come up to you and say, could you write an article about this? Or do you sort of find this information online and then dig out the information and interview people? How do you sort of get your inspiration? Ironically enough, I met, Korak knew me from the water here in Oceanside. We surf the pier together often. However, I didn't know who he was. I recently met him about a month ago at a little sustainable Luca festival, they were calling it. And it's about uh, keeping the sustainable fight alive. So there were nonprofit organizations such as himself. There was another organization that uh, was focused on women's surf therapy. There were eco-friendly clothing brands. And there was a guest speaker from Wild Coast salvaje which does like works on pollution Mm -hmm. here in the united states and tijuana it's a a bi-national organization that is looking to clean up the tijuana river valley so i went to that because you know i'm a surfer and i'm somewhat of an environmentalist and i'm interested in those things and and that's where i met korak and uh you know you attend events and you surf and you end up meeting people in real life and Mm -hmm. sometimes i meet them on instagram and sometimes people contact me, but sometimes the people who reach out aren't necessarily the ones that I would like to write about. But <laughs> everyone, everyone does have a story. So I do encourage everyone to reach out exactly. and let me know what your story is. And then we'll talk about that. Because you've got a great form on your blog as well called the Surf Life sort of section. And so you can fill yes. in a form and, you know, sort of give a few snippets of your st- And so what happens? Do you contact them back and you give them a call or do you Skype or how do you? Yes, it really depends on uh, what they're more or most comfortable with. The Surf Life is on the webpage, and I do get a couple times a week, someone will fill that out. So oftentimes, I will, more often, I think I contact the people that I've met or that I have in mind that I feel like have a good story, or if you filled out the Surf Life questions, which are basically, you know, just when did you start surfing, and what does surfing mean to you, and what do you do in your everyday life, and Mm. why do you do that, and what sacrifices have you made for surfing, and things like that. So if you have a good story, then I'll follow up with you, and and we'll talk about it. I'm I'm just looking for positive people, people that are surfers that have a positive influence on their communities or their environment, Mm. really. Mm -hmm. So if if someone has a positive story to tell or is doing something really great, then I would like to write about it, I think. <laughs> they can definitely go <laughs> can to the Walden Word and fill out the surf life. Yeah. <laughs> and you also, um, you surf for science. What's all this about? So uh, surfing for science is, it's called the SmartFin program. And it is run through the Surfrider Foundation, Future Fins, and also Scripps Oceanography. They're down there, the Oceanography Institute couple of scientists down there thought it would be a good idea they're also surfers to come up with a fin that has sensors in it that you put into your surfboard and when you take it out it measures temperature it has gps locator 
There's plans in the future to measure salinity, things like that. All this research then gets uploaded into your computer and goes directly to the researchers at uh, Scrimps Institute of Oceanography down in La Jolla, California. And those researchers, they share that information with other researchers, climate researchers across the globe. And they're looking to notice and figure out trends in uh, global warming and how it's affecting coastal climates and coastal communities. Have you had any information, some feedback from from your surfing sessions or the whole group of surfers that are members of this campaign? Not recently. I've been pretty busy. Honestly, I haven't been to a meeting in a couple of months, but they meet once a month. I still surf with the fin and upload my information. Mm -hmm. Once a month, they do have meetings and they go over where the project is at and they sometimes send out emails and things like that. That's cool. That's really cool. And the last one is the the AstroSurf piece that you wrote. I thought that was a really, really good take on on actually sort of seeing what the all the opportunities in the universe of where we could possibly surf if it was made for human beings kind of thing. So could you tell us a bit more how how you um, came up with the idea? For sure. So as a surfer, I wake up every morning and I think about what is the wind doing? What is the tide doing? And the tide is directly tied to the moon. And as this, the moon is, uh, you know, just a celestial body going around and we're orbiting the sun, the moon's orbiting us. And when I look up at the moon and I think about the tides and its pull, I think about density gratification and how a star once exploded and iron and nickel at the center of our earth and then surrounded by, you know, rocks and then heavy soil and then water and then air and it gets thinner and thinner. We're spinning so fast that the iron and nickel made an electromagnetic field that protects us. I know it's a, and all that just because uh, I'm staring at the ocean, <laughs> but the ocean makes me think about the cosmos. And I think it makes a lot of surfers think about the cosmos. And, you know, and then I, I wonder what would it be like if there were an ocean on the moon, you know, with, with a six of our gravity, waves would be bigger, move a little slower. And <laughs> were there oceans on other planets in our galaxy or our solar system? Are there other oceans out there that we just haven't found yet? You yes. know, there's... All the there's you know so many galaxies, an infinite number of galaxies that we're starting to be able to see with our modern telescopes. And where's the next ocean at? Where's the next great uncrowded wave? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's lovely. And um, yeah, well, I definitely recommend recommend the listeners to have a look at your lovely articles because they they really have a great great outlook on surfing in general. So that's lovely. Maybe moving on in the conversation, we could sort of focus on on your relation to surfing and i just wanted to know what if you remember what you felt when you caught your first wave elation pure joy that feeling that i was going to love this for the rest of my life i had that feeling when i was nine years old and i went skiing for the first time i fell in love with the mountains i fell in love with the pure freedom of moment to moment surfing was much the same you're focused on nothing but what's in front of you just that moment and uh pure joy of having a little sunshine, a little on your skin, a little salt water on your face, the sounds of the sea, feeling like you're a part of something that is greater than yourself. Riding, I guess, waves are, you know, the sun's energy and solar wind, and it hits the atmosphere, and it creates wind here on the planet, which creates fetch that sends a wave all the way to us, and there I am in the cosmos again. (laughs) But the first time, just pure joy. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. And who has made the greatest impact in your surfing? 
So my brother-in-law, I used to call him my surf mentor when I first moved to Santa Cruz and started surfing every day back in 2009. My brother-in-law was working for Surf Tech, which takes all these different shapes and designs and then reproduces them, mass reproduces them and ships them out to different surf shops and different places on the globe. So he was working there and had access to mini boards and they would give him prototype boards with different stringers and different materials. And he lived on the hook in Santa Cruz. There is a really well-known surf spot. Gave me his garage code and would drop boards off at my house. And in his garage there, you know, not only his boards or some of the prototype boards, but boards of probably 10 to 20 other surfers, whoever was visiting at the time. So a garage, just wall to wall surfboards. I mean, to the ceiling, you grab a longboard, grab a, grab a shortboard, grab a Eagle Beak 80s twin fin board. So my surf mentor, Rob Lentz, hmm. was probably most influential in those beginning days, just encouraging me to surf and also letting me just take out any kind of watercraft that I could imagine and try to surf small boards, short boards, fat boards, just so much fun that's excellent (laughs) (laughs) obviously as a surfer you're connected to protecting the environment and i just wanted to know if you had any sort of special hacks or any special routines that you have when you come out of the water or do sort of plastic free july or if you have any kind of thing uh, or volunteer work that you do on a regular basis i think like a lot of people i show up for like the surf rider beach cleaning days and things like that that's always a good way to like low key get involved. Also, it's very difficult to break free from plastics. It's something that I'm still struggling with trying to do. I mean, there's even as I look around my desk, there's so many plastics here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the major ones, I bring my my own personal coffee cup. Yeah, I use that all the time. I also have a hydro flask and try not to use plastic water bottles. I have a friend who has a business called Reform Life that makes uh, reusable utensils and straws and things like that. So I try to carry that around with me. And then I don't have to use plastic straws when I'm out and about or the plastic utensils, just little things like that. And I'm Mm -hmm. only one person cutting down very little bit of plastic. But yeah, I think we're all somewhat sickened by the amount of plastics and microplastics that end up in the ocean or that end up in our environment in general. Anything we can do to reduce that in our personal lives or any efforts that we can make I think are necessary mm-hmm. and should be made yeah so yeah absolutely so since you've been running the Walden Word what are the, the most surprising things that have come out of this blog for you personally the most surprising things I think are how social it has become how many different people that I meet or they want to contact me via social media or send me an email, which is always encouraged. I love hearing from people and I like the feedback. Mm. Most of it positive. Sometimes it's not so positive. I think inevitably not everyone's going to agree with your point of view, which is okay. I don't like to argue, but if you write me something and we don't agree, I will just state the facts as I see them and I'm open to your opinion. Maybe you'll broaden my horizons or open my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you do have sort of critics, it's a good sign as well. You know, it means that you're... I think so too. <laughs> disrupting something. So, uh, you know, it's a very good sign. That's great. 
Love it or hate it, as long as you're passionate about it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to know, before we wrap up this conversation, if you would like to finish some sentences for me, it's the usual cue in the podcast, but basically it's four questions to finish. So the first sentence is, I love. Writing about the good in people so that others will be inspired and encouraged to do the same. And also, I love the ocean. <laughs> Fantastic. I miss. I miss surfing in Santa Cruz because mm -hmm. although I never really went to church there, I, every time that you paddle out, you're in a sanctuary. Really? I didn't realize. A marine sanctuary. A marine, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish that I could surf at a high level until I'm old and gray and it all just fades away. Oh, <laughs> and that's <laughs> lovely. And I want... Everyone to go to thewaldenword.com and read my most recent article, Latinos Unidos, the best gift you can give. Then donate whatever they can to help the children in Venezuela. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's lovely. Lovely way to wrap up this interview. I guess what we should do is recap how to get hold of you on social media. Just give us the rundown of where to find you online and on social media. So, um... Of course, you can go to thewaldenword.com. And you can click on my contact page there and send me an email if you'd like to. Or you can message me on Instagram at The Walden Word. I'm also on Facebook. Again, The Walden Word on Facebook. Uh, you can send me a message there too if you'd like. Those are the three most active where mm -hmm. you'll find me the most. Okay. So I'd recommend that. <laughs> That's brilliant. So what are the plans and the, the articles that you're preparing for the future for the next few months? Currently, I'm working on a piece about landlocked surfers in Munich, Germany, surfing the, the Eisbach, the river wave there, how it was outlawed back in the 60s. It was illegal. They'd, surfers would get chased out of the waters uh, by the police. I think it was uh, late 90s, early 2000s. They had a, a mayor there in Munich who legalized it and said that it was okay, and now it's become quite the spectacle. And then there is a female surfer named uh, Janina Zeitler who surfs that wave often and has been competing on the QS in multiple contests and is trying to make it on the world tour. So I think someone who went from surfing a river wave to having sponsors to surfing ocean waves, and that's the piece I'm working on currently. That's an incredible story. Excellent. That must be so fun to write about. <laughs> Get to meet interesting people all the time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, well, thank you, David, for being such a lovely guest. And um, how do you feel? I feel good. I feel like going for a surf. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope there are plenty of lovely glassy waves awaiting. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And please take away from me because over here in the Mediterranean, it's the summer and it's as flat as a pancake. So um, I'm really <laughs> in, an, in need of a surf very soon. <laughs> You got it. First okay. place for you, Amy. Okay, then. Well, take care, David, and, and speak to you soon. That was a lovely conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. To connect with David, you can skip over to his website, www.thewaldenword.com, or you can check out his Facebook at The Walden Word, or his Instagram account at The Walden Word. The Ocean Riders podcast is a passion project and if you like it, you can support it in a number of ways. Number one, share your love for this podcast on iTunes by giving it a few stars or a review. Better still, subscribe to the podcast. 
Anything in this direction increases my ranking and lets people hear more about my fascinating guests and how they are busting the surfing stereotype. Number two, comment and join the conversation on social media. You'll find links to my social media accounts on theoceanriderspodcast.com. Alternatively, you can connect with me on Instagram at the Ocean Riders Podcast, on Facebook at the Ocean Riders Podcast, or on Twitter at Amy Podcast. Number three, join me for an episode or sponsor my podcast. Just send an email to hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com with a quick bio and I'll take care of the rest. Anyway, that said, thank you ever so much, David, for being such a delightful guest. And thank you guys for listening. Until next time, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.